Welcome to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. I'm film critic Gary Kogel, and today we're going to take a look at some of the best food movies of all time. Movies that not only celebrate the culinary arts, but celebrate life and love and often a great conversation around the table. And I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton Kogel. With great food movies, you have to have great wine. And the pairing of food and wine may be very obvious, but a story is really what makes each of these so special. And each one of these wines has just an incredible story, as do each of these films. I think these films have great stories. So uh, we have this conversation a lot at home. The greatest food movie of all time. I mean, you can pull up Babbitt's Feast all you want, won the Oscar. But for us, it's Big Night. I love Big Night. It's Big Night. (sighs) It's a 1996 uh, American film. It's directed by two guys. They're friends. Uh, Stanley Tucci directed along with his buddy, the actor, Campbell Scott. Um, it won the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival. And 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 uh, Campbell Scott and Tucci won the New York Film Critics Award and the Boston Film Critics Award for Best New Directors. So <laughs> I guess they made up that award for them. But the cast, if you have uh, Tony Shalhoub, Mm-hmm. who I think is just a great actor. You have Minnie Driver, you have Isabella Rossellini. And then you have Louis Prima, who never shows up. So you have this Italian restaurant. It, uh, I think it takes place in the 50s. You have an Italian restaurant just off um, just off the coastline in the New York area. And uh, one, the, yeah. one down the street is thriving, but theirs is failing. Because they love their food, and their the opening scene is somebody orders risotto and wants to know where all the mushrooms are. Because they ordered <laughs> mushroom risotto, and there's no mushrooms there's no in mushrooms There's little it. flakes of mushroom. <laughs> and the chef comes out to try to explain how delicate and it is to make risotto. And we've both made risotto, yes. and we know it's not easy. But it's great when you pull it off. And they just don't get it because they just want a big slab of food in front of them, yes. and they're going to move on down the street. But Big Night is a celebration, I think, of great Italian food and great Italian music and kind of the Italian culture, especially in, in living in New York. But it also, um, it's not about being a perfectionist. I think it's about the love of food, and it's about the love of trying to make the best food. And if you do the best food, people will come. They'll show well, up to, isn't, to eat it. Because isn't that, doesn't Stanley Tucci at one point say the great line that first you have to give the people what they want so that then you can give them what you want? What you want, right. And and his chef never really wanted to do that because he wanted to stay true to himself. He wanted to do what he wanted to be authentic. And, and they're brothers. And celebrate the celebrate the beauty of their of where they came from and and the food that they grew up on and so were they making snooty food i don't know that it's snooty i just think it was authentic but i think sometimes i you know you some one person's authentic we live in texas that's a perfect example you know tex-mex versus authentic mexican food are very very different so great example if you have an authentic mexican restaurant and someone goes in and wants a chimichanga <laughs> you're not going to get that and so i think that it's interesting and we've watched so many restaurants that kind of have come and gone because they try to do one thing but right but their customers want something else so it's almost like you have to have your your staple to then have your nightly special be what you what you want to do but then have your have your staples to so before I ask you about the wine that you would pair with this, I, I'm fascinated by the one scene in the movie with Allison Janney, who's a flower girl, and she's kind of lonely, and she's tall and gangly and lives down the street. And the chef invites her over, and he cooks for her, and he sticks his finger in a in a in a something he just made, and puts it in her mouth, and she eats the food off his finger and says, "Oh my God!" And he says, "That's right." 
that's the closest to God you will ever be. <laughs> because his food is so great. So good. That's what makes that film great. All right, let's talk about wine with Big Night. Well, I thought for a perfect, you know, Italian celebration, pay homage to one of the oldest and finest and most celebrated families in Italy, the Antonori's. Uh. 630 years of winemaking experience. They are on their 26th generation of making wine in Tuscany and Umbria and having having vineyards throughout um, all of Italy, as well as expanding into the U.S. They um, are part owners of Colsolari up in, in Washington on Red Mountain with Chateau St. Michel, as well as Stag's Leap Wine Cellars and Antica and Napa that we both love. Um, today it's run by Piero Antonori and his three daughters, which I also love because it, this is old world Italian family that kind of shows you just how how things have progressed because he has three daughters and the daughters are who's in charge, not their husbands, but the daughters, um, Allegra, Alberia, and Alicia. And they have just one of the most storied um, histories in, in all of these great wines, commitment to to creating great wines throughout um, throughout the world. Tiganello is probably one of their most celebrated from from Italy. Great wines. Man, I drink that Antonori wine anytime. And you get some with a little age on it. And you eat and you eat the tipinambo or what yeah. how do they ever say <laughs> the if big, you get somebody to make it for you or you the can big make pasta it. With like nine, it's like layers. a nine-layer dip pasta. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of it, uh, the Antonori wants for me, and so I met Allegra once yeah. because we did a big night in Dallas years ago, and I got to host it. And you know, they kept showing the movie without the sound up, and we all ate and drank, and we they made tipinambas, and they also Sharon uh, Hayes was the chef. Yeah, was Sharon Hayes yeah. was the chef there, and 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 then they served the Antonori wine, yeah. and she was yeah, there. She, she flew in from Italy. Yeah, like how cool is that? That's the way to do it. I want to do that already. Can we talk about another food movie? Yes. You want to do it? Okay. Um, there's a movie called Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, and it's an Ang Lee film. And Ang Lee is an Oscar winner. He directed The Life of Pi and won mm-hmm. the Oscar. He directed Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. He directed Brokeback Mountain. But before he made English-language films, he made Asian-language films. And this is 1994. And he did a series of Asian-language films about a family and about a father. And this is the one about a father and food and his daughters. And he cooks for them. He's a master chef. I think it was, it's either shot in Taiwan or Hong Kong or, mm-hmm. but it's an Asian language film. And every Sunday, the daughters were required to sit at the table and he fed them just a massive feast. And they were becoming modern and didn't want to be traditional, traditional. anymore. They wanted to leave on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the movie, you finally realize that really means a lot. Every Sunday really does mean a lot to them. But it, it's one of those great movies. They made uh, a knockoff, um, a kind of a Latino version called Tortilla, Tortilla Soup, Soup with Hector Elizondo, which is a very good film. I, the first scene in Tortilla Soup, kind of like an Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Yep. Just just the preparation and the love and the dedication of of making food, I think that that's we why the food movies are so personal to us because yeah. that's a, a big way of how we show love to each other and love to to our friends and family is is by by creating by by making a meal and inviting people to sit around our table and have a conversation. Back in '95, it won the Asian Pacific Best Film of the Year award, and it was nominated for an Academy Award in '95. And also, I'm going to say this: it's it's a the title, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, comes from a Confucius classic saying. And the saying goes like this. Um, I think it's the things which men greatly desire 
are comprehended in meat and drink and sexual pleasure. Eat, drink, man, woman. Wow. Wow. Okay. Let's talk. Let's talk <laughs> wine. wine. <laughs> um, so for for our Asian celebration, I thought that I would pair a a wine from a Chinese superstar, Yao Ming. Yao Ming, the great the <laughs> the seven foot plus basketball player, NBA star, five time uh, was on the NBA All Star team five times. Yao uh, in two thousand three, Time Magazine listed him as one of the most is one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Um, he is a huge humanitarian, has done helped both um, people within China, in the Xinhua province of, of China after a devastating earthquake, um, did a lot for the city of Houston after Hurricane Ike and rebuilding playgrounds and, and helping children that were affected by the hurricane in Houston. He started a foundation. One thing I thought was kind of interesting, um, he's a big uh, ambassador for the Special Olympics, as well as Wild Aid, which um, was started with Sir Richard Branson that is an effort to save sharks from extinction because of the he wants the ban on shark fin soup. On shark fin soup. Which is, he's, he's going against that. I know, which is kind of an Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I, and because it's such a part of, of so many Asian cultures that, that I thought that was interesting. Napa Valley wine, though, big. Um, Yontville, St. Helena fruit. Lot it's it's kind of the wine that you that you want to enjoy now, but can very easily um, age for for ten fifteen years. Big old cab, eat eat a big steak with it instead of your shark fin soup. <laughs> Yao Ming makes a big fat red cab in Napa. Is that amazing? That's just amazing. Hey, when we come back on wine and film, a perfect pairing. Uh, two more food induced movies like Water for Chocolate. Back in 1992 and a 2014 film we both love called Chef. And we will be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. We're talking about food movies and great wine that goes with food movies. So it's 1992, Haley. I, I know you saw this film. I like love Water this film. for Chocolate. It's. I'll never forget seeing that film because I didn't quite understand it. Cried like a baby. Was moved by it. But it's 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 what they do a lot in, in uh, Mexican literature. It's magic realism or mm -hmm. Latino literature, mm -hmm. and it's based on the popular novel by Laura Esquivel. And Laura Esquivel wrote the book, became a bestseller. Her husband Alfonso Arau directed it. Mm. Alfonso Arau is an actor, mm -hmm. and I knew him as El Guapo. <laughs> In the Three Amigos, he was the bad. So the get, wrap your head around this: the bad guy in the Three Amigos directed one of these great, beautiful, beautiful. movies, and tra and kind of tragic in mm. many ways, uh, using that that style of magic magical realism in, in like Water for Chocolate, and and by the way, the sad part of this is they made the movie, it became a big hit, and then they got divorced. Oh, yeah. He and he's been in a whole bunch of movies. He's been in a lot of films, but I, I like Water for Chocolate. So I'm trying to wrap my head around the story because it was a little bit complicated. But it's it's a it's a woman. It's a young woman who lives in the house with a whole bunch of sisters. Right. And she falls in love with Pedro. She falls in love with this guy, but can't marry him because she's the youngest daughter and has to take care. And and her sister, her sister marries her love because that's the only way he can get close to her. Yes, but is but he marries the sister because because the family forced 
forced him to marry the oldest sister right. and 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 she's forbidden to marry him and the youngest one is so heartbroken that she cries into the mole and so when they eat the mole at the at the wedding celebration everyone breaks out in tears it's so good i know isn't it amazing <laughs> magical realism it's so good it's that's that's just one of the great metaphors of just What's going on in life that you're serving other people, but they're going to cry their eyes out because you're so full of tears. Because your your emotion, every emotion that you have, both in celebration or in tragedy, comes out in the food you create. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, it, it is. And when that scene happened, I don't think we had ever seen anything quite like that in a movie before. It was... You know, and a lot of us didn't know about the book. The book was popular, but wasn't so popular in America. It was popular in, in, in Latino culture. And then all of a sudden, we see that in the movie. I'll never forget seeing that film. I've, I've tried to explain that scene for years to people. You know, she cri- she cries into into the batter. Yeah. And uh, my memory is that it's a batter. Maybe it's you're a, right. Maybe I think it's it a might cake. be a cake. Yeah. I think it's a wedding cake. Yeah. And they all eat it, and some of them get sick, but they all cry. Yeah. Oh, you're probably right. Yeah, it just kind of so... pro- projects everything onto them. So you have a husband and wife that made the film, Alfonso Rowe and Laura Escoval, who uh, um, actually wrote it, and uh, it, it became a huge hit. It was, I think that film Spanish language made millions in America and kind of kind of opened up that culture more to mainstream movies mm-hmm. for for kind of the first time. So I'm thinking of like water for chocolate. I have no idea what you're going to pair with this. Well, I think um, in celebration of of Mexican culture, um, mm-hmm. kind of along the same lines also with tortilla soup that we mentioned earlier, there is a great wine that has such a beautiful story. And bonus, it's really, really, really good wine, Misueño. Yes. Uh, Misueño was started by Rolanda Herrera, um, who was a Mexican immigrant. Um, his first job, I want to say, when he was he he came to Napa Valley with his family when he was eight. They went back to Mexico. He had such a love for for the freedom and the land and the soil and the beauty of Napa. He found his way. He came back. Um, he was a I want to say a dishwasher or a busboy. At Auberge de Soleil in Napa, that was wow, his first what a place job. To work, yeah. um, worked his way up, became you know kind of a cellar rat. Worked his way into the into working in different wineries. Worked for Stag's Leap Wine Cellars as their winemaker. Worked um, at Vinecliff as their winemaker. Started his his winery while he was doing some other things. Was a consultant. Worked with Paul Hobbs. But Misueño means my dream, and it's just every ounce of what he of what he wanted to be goes into this wine. That is the perfect pairing. And it's such a it's such a beautiful their Napa Valley um Sonoma Valley wines his uh, the one thing after starting Misueño that he started kind of for his premium tier was the the Herrera line of of the Misueño wines. So each one very small production and each one is named after one of his kids, which just makes that whole my dream and celebration of family so much better. We've had um we've had a few of them. He has a Rolando Jr. that's his cab and I love this cuz each one of the wines he only makes them if the fruit is the quality to to kind of meet the the perfection standard that he has. So these tiny production Herrera wines will only come out if they're if they're worthy, and each one kind of is the personality of one of his six children. So the Rolando Jr. Uh-huh. is kind of his big um, Napa bold, intense cab, but he he 
recently came out with a single variety Petit Verdot, which Napa Valley Petit Verdot, that's a big wine, um, named it after his daughter, Valeria. And it's it's concentrated and it's filled with violets and black fruit and dried cherry and f- kind of that earthy forest floor mushroom kind of notes. And I just and very concentrated and very intense and but also light and and elegant and that is kind of the oh. the character of of his daughter. So just I I love the stories behind. Can we do that sometime? Let's watch like because well, we haven't watched that film for years. Yeah, I haven't seen it for years. So I'd love good. to watch that and drink some meat swinio. Yeah. So there's a movie we love together. It came out in 2014. I'm just going to say the name: Sofia Vergara. John Leguizamo, Scarlett Johansson, Oliver Platt, Bobby Cannavale, Dustin Hoffman, Robert Downey Jr., and the great John Favreau wrote and directed it because he wanted to do something more intimate after doing the Iron Man movies. <laughs> and I love John Favreau, yeah. who goes all the way back to Swingers. Yeah. But he and he stars in his own film, directed and stars as a chef who has a blow up with his owner one day and goes back to his roots, gets a food truck, redoes it, puts his son because he has no relationship with his son on board, and they travel around in a food truck. They drive from Miami to L.A. Miami to L.A. on a father-son road trip. With John Leguizamo. As a sous chef. Making Cuban sandwiches. Making Cuban, Cubanos. <laughs> making Cuban sandwiches, but also making the greatest grilled cheese. Yeah. Because sometimes, sometimes chefing, and I think this movie says this, sometimes being a chef isn't about foam, and it's not about foie gras, or and tweezers. it's not about lobster, or about tweezers. All of that I admire. It's not about microgreens. It's sometimes just about the pure joy of making maybe one of the best grilled cheese sandwiches in the world or that you can make. Just about being good at one thing every day. Just making a good Cubano and making a good grilled cheese. I I, I, th- I think this movie celebrated everything about food that I love in movies. It was a big surprise for me. Well, and I think it celebrated relationships better than than a lot of, of films just in general. I think that... That to watch the relationship between between chef and his son is something that I think we we kind of see. We have chef friends, and and I think just just people that work. You know, if you work all the time and you don't have have the ability to be with your kids, then then what happens to that relationship? And so the watching them come together was so kind of joyful. And and to see that relationship really take hold is is fantastic. A lot of chef movies are about tumultuous chefs. Yes. Burnt was like that. Yes. But where Burnt failed, I think, as a chef movie, that's, it did some things very well. It failed in the whole relationship thing. Mm-hmm. It was just tumultuous to be tumultuous. This is really about a father-son that I believed, yeah. Favreau and his kid. And Sofia Vergara is great. It's the best thing in film I've ever seen her do. Yeah. I, I, I find her kind of annoying sometimes. Maybe it's just because I see furniture ads all the time. But I just, I love her in this film. I I, I think Chef, I mean, I, when we talk about wonderful food movies, this movie comes up all the time. And it, and I always go back to, because we love a simple grilled cheese. A perfectly, gr- just great he, grilled cheese And he sandwich. teaches that son to do it. Just just do this every day and do it right because there's there's great joy and it'll kind of change your life if you just do this really well every Absolutely. day. Absolutely. I, I think that's a really important thing. So, Good grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah. Minor wild yeast Chardonnay. God bless you. We love Dave Miner. Dave Miner's Chardonnay, Napa Valley Chardonnay, wild yeast Chardonnay. That will be a Chardonnay we will drink forever. Great story. 
Um, Dave was in the um, kind of tech industry. He went to help his uncle, who owned Oakville Ranch Vineyards in Napa Valley at the time in 93. In 1994, he met the love of his life, his now late wife, Emily. They began Minor Wines together in 1996. Their inaugural vintage of the 2001 Oracle Bordeaux-style blend was 2004. They brought in Gary Brookman as his winemaker from the very start. Their wild yeast, which basically means it's native fermentation, the how the, the fermentation starts is by just the, the natural yeast cells that exist on the grapes or on the walls or in the, the air. There's yeast everywhere. And so it just kind of happens naturally. And it's rich and creamy and big, but yet still has great acidity. So with that perfect grilled cheese sandwich, we'll just kind of cut through all that kind of ooey, gooey, cheesy goodness. And it's special and it's beautiful. And it's a wine that you you don't, you don't, it's not a porch pounder. It's something that you sit and you savor mm. and you sit with and you savor and you enjoy and and I think that that's why we both also love Chef. Where's uh, the first time you took me to Napa, Sonoma, with you? Yeah. One of the first places we went to was Minor. Was Minor. In fact, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen the photo of the two of us with a glass of wine. Yes. I think we're standing, standing on the balcony, balcony at Minor. We at are Minor overlooking the valley. I love these wines. I will. I everything that Dave. And 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 Gary Brookman have done. I I think that they are are masters and and this great Oakville Napa Valley fruit and and just love them. Love them as people. Loved. And Dave has two daughters that watching them grow up is 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 pretty amazing. So thank you for taking me to Minor. Yeah, it's kind of changed my life. I've learned a lot. <laughs> at the end of that first day, Gary looked at me and said, "This may be one of the best days of my whole life." I did say that. I, I, I was very happy. That was probably late in the day or. Yeah, it's only 11 a.m. Hey, when we come back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, uh, another food movie that we love, and it's a documentary, Hero Loves Sushi, and also a look at Chef's Table. We think maybe the best series about food ever put on television, and we will be right back. And we are back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Parent, talking about food movies and about great wine that goes with great food movies, like Water for Chocolate, <laughs> Chef. Oh, my gosh. Big Night. Big Night. Is, uh, Chocolate's another one that we Chocolate's another one. Babbitt's Feast is another one. Uh, we mentioned Tortilla Soup. But also, there's this documentary we discovered because we're, you know, we channel surf through Netflix like a lot of you do or through Apple iTunes and Next thing you know, Hero dreams of sushi, not Hero loves sushi. I think and, he loves sushi, too. Though, he does. Yes. And it came out but in 2011. Dreaming. It's directed by, uh, it's actually an American director, David Gelb. And he found and this 85-year-old sushi master and owner of his own um, three-star Michelin restaurant. And and I think it was in a Tokyo subway station. It's in station. a subway station. It is. It has maybe, what, six seats? Yeah. It's very small, and it's hard to get in there. It takes maybe three months to get in there. And actually, the director was trying to make a film about a whole bunch of different sushi makers. And then when he found this guy, he said, I'm stopping all the others because this guy is so far above in his skills. I'm and I'm done, and I'm just going to make it about this guy. And he thought it would make a really—it took a month to shoot the film and took 10 months to edit the film. 
But, oh my gosh. And it also has a 50-year-old son. He has two sons. One of them is 50 who's still learning. Mm -hmm. Kind of like if you're in Cirque du Soleil, you spend your whole life doing a five-minute routine. But you spend your whole life reflect, uh, perfecting one thing that's as good as anything in the world. And that's the way I feel about this sushi guy in Hero Dreams of Sushi. He spent his whole life, even at 85, and he doesn't feel he's perfect yet. But it may be the most perfect food you'll ever have a bite in front of you. And he doesn't do platters. At all. He puts one little piece together by hand and sits it in front of you and watches you eat it. It's a fascinating... It would be a fascinating meal to have because I think one of the things that they kind of highlight is that your meal can be 20 minutes or your meal can be two hours. Yes. Everybody gets the exact same food, but they're given their their bites, their, their pieces of sushi, one bite at a time. And so you could either plow through it or you can sit and savor it. And just that I also can appreciate because taking the time – to realize the artistry. And I think so many times somebody doesn't maybe think that that being a, a chef or being a winemaker or any of these kind of culinary arts is, is actually artistry because they're painting their their canvas as a plate. Their canvas is a is is a bottle. Yeah. And and that's what's so gripping about this beautiful documentary. If food is art, and it often is, not always, but it often is, it's on display in Hero Dreams mm -hmm. of Sushi. Mm -hmm. And I I admire this guy so much. I admire his work ethic because he's no nonsense. I mean, his son, he's pretty tough on his son, who's 50. Well, that's what's interesting because he has two sons, yeah. one who will, who's kind of still his apprentice that will eventually take over the subway stand, yeah. and then his other son, who is who has kind of broken off on his own yeah. and doing his own thing. Wants to make his own, have a, have his own restaurant. Absolutely. Yeah. Boy, it's great. That's I'd, so good. Yeah, so Hero Dreams of Sushi. What are we pairing? What are we pairing with that? <laughs> um, obvious choice would be Riesling, but we've, we've talked a little bit about Riesling over the last few weeks, so don't want to go obvious. Obvious to me would be a sake. Well, sake, of course, just because that's Japanese beloved uh, rice wine. Too obvious. But I um, wanted to throw a Tarantas out there. Why? And I think the Tarantas, um, it's a white wine grape from Argentina. I love to pour Tarantas sometimes because it's, it's kind of a little bit de deceptive because the aromas, when you smell a Tarantas, it will be very floral. We'll have lots of honeysuckle and honey and, and melon notes. So in your mind, you may think that this is going to be an off-dry wine or a sweet wine, but then there's such bracing, fresh, you know, straight as an arrow line of acidity that that just pops and so it it is completely food friendly really really citrus and vibrant um kind of tangerine notes and melon or and, and lemon notes such a beautiful one there's some great ones too um from the El Porvenir de Cafiate is a family-owned winery in the Cafiate region of Salta within Mendoza within Argentina um, families 80 hectares. The vineyards are at 1,750 feet above sea level, so it allows. It's very hot during the day, but that high elevation it makes sure that the nights are nice and cool. So you maintain that great acidity. Paul Hops, their consultant, really, really great, really clean, beautiful wine. Love so, that wine. So when I eat sushi, kind of need 
uh, what to cut through some of the spice sometimes. Sometimes, or? yes, because it kind of depending upon what what you order, what you order. But um, and that's why you can have certainly an off dry wine as well. You know, champagne I think with sushi is also a, a great option. I think anything that's nice and clean, you don't want something that's going to muddy it because the 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 brininess and the the freshness of the seafood is what you really want to high end Sauvignon on. Blanc. Sure, yeah. or an Albarino, you know, Rioja Bosch's Albarino, or even um, something like a an, a single variety um, white wine from from Portugal, like a Trajadora yeah. or a, a Rinto or something like that. But I just love it. Yeah, I think that some there's some really bad Torontos out there, but there are also some really really great options. What does a bad Toronto taste like? Does it bite you back? It, yeah, but I think that they're bad. There's there's like there's Bad films out there. There, every there's some really bad ones. Oh, Polly Shore movies bite me back all the time. Yeah. Okay, we've been watching this uh, series on television. It started over a year ago, uh, where we found it on Netflix. And what I love about Netflix is you pay your eight or nine or ten bucks a month, and they're coming out with you know House of Cards. They're doing great shows or House of Games and and uh, House, of, House of Cards. House of Cards. But uh, we found Chef's Table because we're always looking at food and wine documentaries, and not all of them are very good. Every once in a while, they're they're pretty good. So we're looking for those. And Chef's Table comes up, highly recommended, five minutes into, into the first episode, I'm hooked. Oh. It's one of the, it's technically one of the most beautiful things yeah. I've ever seen about food. The production quality production is Production quality, quality is great. And, and so we watched the first season and, and now we're into the second season and we're, we're kind of plowing through it now. But I think it's sell, what I, what I love about it, it takes an hour for each chef and it explores the chef, their restaurant and their life, their marriage. Where they source their food, what it means to them, and it's and it does it in a deeper, richer way than most food docs do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just follow them around in a cart; really follows them around in their lives and and really what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And then when they display their food, mm-hmm. it's like I mean, the recent one with Grant Oshots mm-hmm. from Alinea mm-hmm. in, up out of Chicago. It's, and next mm-hmm. is some of the most beautiful food on display I've ever seen in my life. And odd, some of it very odd. But that table right. logo that they do yeah. is amazing to me. Well, and I I think that that's to, to see kind of going back to the artistry of, of of what these that these chefs are truly artists to see their presentations and to the the focus that not only goes into the food that they're serving but how they're serving it. Um, you know, I think that at one point Grant he makes a a, a an a, a, a rosemary air or something so that that he he puts this air into a a balloon into a balloon that he then stuffs into a pillow so that each time you you put your fork on the plate you get a whiff of this air it it's fascinating cuz then it becomes an entire sensory experience it's it's not just your it's not just flavor on your palate it's the aromas it's the and it's rarely the, does he throw anything on a plate it's on some kind of vessel that you've never even thought of right, before right. or it's hanging from the ceiling right. or it's going up in a balloon and or, yeah. and yeah cuz everything you know the whole how the how the food is presented is as important as as what you're eating. I think we had a, an experience. We had the incredible opportunity to eat at French Laundry several years ago, and they refer to French Laundry a lot in this. And series. he was because uh, Grant actually um, did a stage at, uh, mm-hmm. with Thomas Keller for for several years, and um, we had I had my my 
ash-covered beet that they then <laughs> sprinkled with fresh truffle and just like all of that <laughs> didn't make any sense. But the presentation of that plate was as beautiful as the actual earthiness of the flavors that were created. And then the fact, and I think that's one of the kind of universal things that we see with all of these chefs, is though it might be tweezer food, which a lot of it is, and it might be foams, and and it's it's all it's all real. It's these are they're celebrating flowers coming out of the garden, and 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 what nature's naturally giving. Oh, here. the produce is so the f- produce the 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 celebration of of sustainable fish and mm-hmm. and understanding where your food comes from and the people that are growing your food the relationship that all these chefs have with their their growers and their their suppliers is is pretty amazing. This, th- this is not food as fuel people. These are these are people that are artists. And on Chef's Table, I think each uh, season is six episodes. Mm-hmm. And one of them is that uh, Francis Malman, mm-hmm. the guy from Argentina mm-hmm. who cooks outdoors. Who last year at, at um, Auction Napa Valley plowed up the the Meadowood Golf Course to to build his big fire pits to roast meat for auction, which is awesome. I don't know how Meadowood felt about that, but it's that presentation was incredible. And that was not tweezer food. That was not. That's hearty. That, you, you need know, a bulldozer. That's your asado. That's your that's your big hearty Argentine yeah. asado. Isn't that good, man? I, I just love talking about food movies with you. I love talking about the wine. I still want to sit on that porch again and drink some good old minor wild yeast Chardonnay. I know. Hey, we both hope you enjoyed our discussion today on some, well, some of the best food movies ever made and some of the great wine that goes along with it, perfectly paired with those films. Me personally, I'll watch Big Night any night with a good bottle of Antonori. For more information on any of the wines or films we talked about today, please check out our blog on our website, cogillconsulting.com. Follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill. And to see what we're drinking now, follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Dallas Uncorked. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill, and as usual, I'm searching for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.